wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and I'm on board. Mm. I can't go back. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Well, go away, go away. <laughs> okay, why am I all blurry? I feel like I feel like there's Vaseline over my camera. There, that got a little bit better. Welcome to She Became Visible. I'm your host Renee Steelman, and this is our Christmas special. And I could not think of anyone that I would rather have to talk about this holiday than Stephen Pinecker. And if any of you are followers of Mormon Stories or the Mormonish podcast or drumroll Mormon book reviews, you are already familiar with Stephen Pinecker. And I'm going to call him Steve. And I'm going to let Steve introduce himself. And we're going to talk about his journey from a belief in Christ, a follower of Christ, a little atheism. And then a 180 back to being a follower of Christ. And then how this journey has taken him and the reaction that he's gotten from friends and family and the community over this journey. And Steve has promised and said he's very willing to be vulnerable and tell us what's happened in the last few months and how his progress is going on this journey and what's happening with it. And we're going to just talk a little bit about that. The title of this episode is Putting the Christ Back in Christian. And I thought that was so appropriate. Many of you may have just skipped over it really quickly and read it and thought that it said putting the Christ back in Christmas, which we've all heard. Um, but no, it's putting the Christ back in Christian. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because that's an interesting I feel like Jesus is being used as a scapegoat for a lot of really bad behavior. So we're going to talk about that today. So Steve, where are you? There you are. Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for being on the show today. I know it's a Friday and you're two hours ahead. So I really appreciate you taking this time out of your weekend and, and hopefully you have your shopping done so you don't have to like run to the mall as soon as this podcast is over, right? <laughs> No, I think I'm going to start Christmas early. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll attack the eggnog when I'm uh, done with this. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, I absolutely love eggnog, um, but I've never had a true eggnog with alcohol in it. Um, is it rum that they put in eggnog? Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have it every once in a while. It's really, it's like I'm not a sweet tooth, so I'll just have a little. It's almost too rich, you know, for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, you know it's Christmas when you're 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 feeling all uh, the, the the burning in your bosom, if you will, of the uh, of the <laughs> of the 
of, of the of the uh, alcohol and the uh, yeah. and everything like that and all the excess food you're eating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a different kind of burning in the bosom. Probably yeah, not the one talked about in the, the yeah, in yeah. The Mormon, but yeah, but yeah, no. And it's funny because you're right. It's 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 a very sweet, uh, thick, dense mm -hmm. drink. And I absolutely love it. And I was so disappointed because I went through Starbucks the other day and they had some chai, tea, eggnog thing. And I was like, oh, yay, I love eggnog. And then I got it and I was like, yeah, I don't know what you put in this. Maybe a little cinnamon, maybe a little nutmeg, but mm -hmm. it did not taste like eggnog. So I was disappointed. But anyway, so Steve, for it. our audience, and like okay, I so said, I have no idea. Oh, did you, you lose something? me. Oh, I if can see lost you. Renee or Renee's lost me. Let's see. Did you, you okay, Renee? I'm good. I can see you. Okay. You, you froze on me. Were, did, okay. Did, did I freeze on you? No, no. You were just staring into like, oh, crud. What's going on? Look. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> are we all back? Are we good? I'm hearing you loud and clear. I have no idea what happened, but that happened. Okay. So, I noticed on my last podcast, there was a little bit of frozen thing too. So it might be my internet is going cuckoo. Who knows? But whatever. Anyway. So- for those people who are not familiar with you and your podcast, give us a little intro because I think it's absolutely, I love your story. I love your story of being a non-member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, have never been, don't have any intention of being, um, but you fell in love with the Book of Mormon and that kind of set you on this journey. So tell, tell the audience that story. Well, I have to say that I, I've always felt like I had this affinity, this kinship with jo the young Joseph Smith in particular. I remember being a young boy and really having like a burden for souls, which I think is what Joseph, young Joseph also had. He wanted to, you know, save. He wanted people to come to Christ. He wanted people to come to repentance. And and he also uh, saw that a lot of the uh, problems there was a uh, Christianity was under attack. So you had the rise of secularism and universalism. You also had the rise of uh, like, uh, like the age of reason by Thomas Paine was read in, in the Smith household. And so there was a real, like in his mind, a, a perceived attack on Christianity. And as a young boy, I kind of felt the same way growing up and almost thought as a young boy, I thought we need a second Bible. We need another set of scriptures that can be more modern to address the, um, the, the issues of our day. And then when I found out there was this other young boy about 200 years earlier that thought the same thing and would engage a, a text of scriptures, another uh, scripture, another set of another Bible, that was truly fascinating to me, the concept. And really, I think I first fell in love with the Book of Mormon before that was when I was around eight years old. We were visiting a Marriott hotel, yeah, eight years old, visiting a, a Marriott hotel and coming across the Book of Mormon and going through and looking at the Arnold Freiburg paintings and become entranced by them. And honestly, I think that's when my love affair with Mormonism began, was uh, those, those paintings were so fascinating to me. And I actually, last time Richard Bushman was on my program, we talked about that. And he had told me that those Arnold Freiburg paintings that go, made their way into the Book of Mormon mm -hmm. were originally made to, be, to appeal to children. And so really? Richard Bushman told me, he said, it shows that it worked because it, it, it captured your young mind. And I didn't. That's the first time I'd heard that that the, those paintings were made in particular for children. And they weren't. They weren't made for young women to uh, look at and go, "Wow, yes, that is exactly what I'm looking for in a husband and a companion." <laughs> About six five, two thirty, biceps the size of a leg. Yes, that's exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> Maybe that's when I first realized I was gay. <laughs> yeah. 
kind of man. It's like, wow, he's hot. You know, I remember this is, this is so probably not, not uh, woke, but I remember the first time we went to Hawaii and I just saw these huge men, these Tongan, Samoan, Hawaiian, beautiful men with their beautiful skin and their, their, you know, six, three and their, and I was like, Oh, wow. That's a Nephite. Okay. I got it. You know, it's like, and uh, so, yeah, that could have been, that could have been a little bit, but that's interesting that Richard would say that, that yeah. uh, it must've been that whole superhero. Yeah. Well, what it was actually, and I've done some research on our fiber because again, you know, I know Minerva Teicher. I mean, look, I love her yeah. work. Oh yeah. Beautiful. I love it. She's awesome. And, yeah. and you know, it's interesting how she puts a lot of women in her paintings. I find it fascinating that the Angel Moroni looks quite feminine as well. <gasps> no kidding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. So I, Arno Freiberg, uh, he actually believed that what he was showing is that the, that the physical strength that you saw manifest in the paintings were actually reflective of their spiritual strength. So that's what he was trying to. Uh -huh. So it was actually there was a there's another level to the physical physical build of the characters that actually that's the their their physical stature is actually representative of their spiritual strength. Wow, it's a good thing we don't put our quorum of the twelve up to that standard, or or we would be failing in spirituality a lot. <laughs> interesting, interesting. So I love so, but I heard you on another podcast say that you actually have never read the entire Book of Mormon cover to cover. Right. So when you picked it up as a young boy and and took it home with you, if I remember right, it's not like so you looked I, at so it. Oh, so I encountered my first book in my collection, which is this one here. I stole this when I was on a, a, a high school, Christian high school basketball tournament from a Marriott hotel. And this is the very first <laughs> book of my collection was this okay. Book of Mormon. So you found it when you were eight years old in a Marriott, but you didn't take it until you were a little bit older and and you know that's exactly what they want you to do. So they're they're so happy when they're gone. Um, so that's that's okay. You can't hold you responsible for that. So okay. So now that's two encounters you've had, mm -hmm. but you still haven't read it cover to right. cover. I haven't, and it's interesting because I'm actually thinking because next year is Come Follow Me, and they're going to be doing the Book of Mormon. Okay. Um, I'm good friends with Dr. Nehemiah Gordon, who's one of the top Hebrew scholars in the world, and he's intrigued with the Book of Mormon and the translation process, and actually. I'm helping. Um, I'm kind of involved, uh, like unofficially involved in a project that's um, is engaging the text of the Book of Mormon in a Hebrew context. And that's all I'll say, because it's really kind of not really well known. Right. But uh, Nehemiah is uh, intrigued by it. And again, he's one of the top and he's not he's a he's a Jew. He's but he's he's had Dan Vogel on his program. I just helped him book Roy Skousen to come on his program. He's really and truly intrigued by the the by the, the the Book of Mormon story, just like I am in many ways, but he's he's doing it on a scholarly level, and him and I have been toying with the idea of actually a Jew and an evangelical reading through the Book of Mormon together. Wow, I love that idea. I know the Paul brothers challenged you to do that, and uh, but I love the idea that you're reading it with a Hebrew scholar because I'm sure there's going to be some insight into and that. We'd probably bring other scholars in to talk, and we probably have like you know, critical scholars, you know, that believe that's a 19th century origin. We'll have people that believe that's an ancient origin. I think it's really good to mash it up and have these conversations. And, and just, you know, I tell people, I say, listen, you know, and I tell this to evangelicals, if you separate Joseph Smith from the Book of Mormon and you separate the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from the Book of Mormon and just engage the text, you're going to be pleasantly surprised by the Orthodox Protestant theology that you will find in this book. Mm -hmm. 
So I say it's one of the most Christian books ever written on American soil. I, I so, heard you say that, and I actually love that because if we if we could take away the um, elitism that Mormons think with this Book of Mormon, that it was something that was given to Joseph Smith, that it was something that is was given to um, us, right, and that it was our job to go and change the other people with this book. If you, I love the way you said that you looked at it from, well, if you looked at it from another evangelical testimony of Jesus Christ, that completely changes the purpose of the book. And when they talk about the book being a, another testament of Jesus Christ, then it's like, oh, okay, well, with that view, I could look at this book rather than having you look at having you tell me that we have this book this book was given to us so that because we're better than you and so now we're going to let you have it as long as you now come unto us right and instead of just welcoming other christians into the literature as this is a great uh, a great uh, story mm -hmm. and and like you said and, and i like when you said too that you looked at it just like you look at the bible with the, you know, the, the stories and the metaphors and, and the parables. And, and if you looked at it like that, instead of a historical document, which will be interesting for you to, to, you know, talk about with your, your uh, podcast companion, that's fascinating. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Yeah. So look for that. Hopefully next year we'll be doing a read through the book of Mormon. So then I'll finally have read through it cover to cover, and then we'll see what happens. That's going to be an interesting year because there is so much with the gospel topics essays and Richard Bushman and other scholars that, and then you've got the strong uh, movement with the book of Mormon, with the uh, mound builders theory. And was it a stone and a hat? Okay, was so an actual translation again? Oh, oh crud. there, there we go. Am I back? Okay. Yeah, you're back. All right. So, you know, if, if that's that, I mean, there's so much, if this is not just, let's all read the old Testament together. There's a lot of controversy out there about the, reality of how the Book of Mormon came to be. And so it'll be interesting to see how the Come Follow Me program, I won't, but my husband can share with me what he learns when he goes to church. Yeah. But that's yeah. going to be interesting. So do you currently follow the Come Follow Me program on the BYU channel? Um, you know what? Occasionally I um, engage it, but not regularly. No, no. Okay. It, it really, honestly, I'm like, I tell you, I'm more of a Book of Mormon guy. So when they did the Come Follow Me programs like four years ago, I was going and checking out different ones and, and doing that one. The one I was using the most actually was Rod Meldrum's, but there oh, were other ones I was engaging as well. Yeah. So that's interesting. Well, this will be fun. This will, this will be exciting. I'm anxious to, to, uh, but let's talk a little bit about Mormon book review and how that got started and, and who you've interviewed. And, and also when you're talking about that, talk about how that came to be because of your journey through Christianity. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess I have to start with this. How I think I think the good jumping off point is part five of my episode of Mormon Stories on Mormon Stories, where the episode is called "How Mormonism Saved an Evangelical's Life." On Mormon Stories, mind you. Okay, and that was a really effective uh, episode. That really, literally, I could tell people were contacting me throughout the world. My phone was buzzing like crazy when I did that final episode, of Mormon Stories. I could tell that people were crying as they were writing the emails to me. You know, it was that it was that, that powerful of an episode on Mormon stories. 
And, and I think that's really part of my journey. So I have had this long obsession ever since I was a young boy with this other young boy named Joseph Smith, who uh, kind of, I felt like I kind of resonated with. And so I felt like a real kinship with him. And uh, I kind of saw the world in many ways, the way he saw them. And as my journey progressed in, in, while I was raised in the conventional evangelical Christian home, come from Dutch reform stock on both sides of the family. Uh, my parents became charismatic Christians. I continued my journey as a good Christian boy who was also struggling with same-sex attraction, right? <laughs> and right around the same time, I, I um, really started my love affair with, um, with, with uh, Mormonism was right about the times, times that I, um, you know, my budding sexuality came into the picture. And so, I, you know, I've had this long, lifelong battle inside of me. And really what ultimately happened about 20 plus years ago, I decided to leave evangelicalism altogether because I just felt like it gotten so toxic. Mm. Um, and so I didn't leave my Christian faith. That would that would follow maybe five or six years later, mm. where I finally just gave up on Christianity and religion and faith and got and belief in God altogether. Just said, forget it. I read I read all the. Apoca uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse atheists you know hitchens and and yeah. all that and uh, i read all the dawkins and yeah mm -hmm. and i read all their stuff and i just remember after reading their materials i was like okay that's it no god so i walked away from belief in god and that was around probably 2006 or so so then i'm like also at this time, a couple of years later, I'm starting to go through some severe, um, kind of like a mental breakdown. I had a, I had a breakdown when I was in middle, middle school. I had another breakdown probably around 2008 or so. I don't know. And then honestly, uh, the only thing that, that was really keeping my interest was Mormonism. So I, I study, like I'm one of those people, like when I'm interested in a subject, I'll just study the heck out of it. I, I've studied all different religions and all different types of things. I'm, I mean, literally people, I, before the internet existed, there was me. Like when I'd be out with my friends, if they had a question about just about anything, I could give them the answer. Not people just Google it, right? Well, the walking encyclopedia. My walking encyclopedia, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so I, uh, but the one thing I kept going back to, especially in the depths of, of my depression, was this obsession I had with Mormonism. Now, I do think this is kind of a defense mechanism. Like my, my my brain is trying to keep me alive. So it's realizing like it's for it's almost like I'm obsessed with it and realizing that when you lose, see, basically when people decide to commit suicide, it's because they've lost interest in everything and they eventually just lose interest in life. Well, I think by keeping my by, by keeping my interest in something, uh, it Mormonism in particular, it saved my life. So now this is what's crazy, Renee, is I read all these books and papers. I go online. I'm doing all this research. I'm checking books out of the library. And I don't have anybody to talk to. I'm just consuming this stuff. And I feel like, I mean, I just read. I I, I, I didn't know how interested I was and kept, I kept on going down the rabbit hole. Well, um, a couple, about two and a half years later, um, about two and a half years ago, the idea started about doing the YouTube channel. But I will say a year before that, was COVID. And COVID was actually the event that kind of led me back into faith. And um, so I, I, is everything okay, Renee? I'm hearing a... Hey, Steve, yeah. can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. I, can, I cannot hear you very well. Oh. And I don't know if I touched something or what I did. Well, check your... Um, so can, can you hear me like you were before? Loud and clear. Check your volume. Your volume control on your computer. Okay, Make sure that you have your volume all the way up. 
No, that's going okay. That one's going okay. Speaker, echo, automatically adjust mic. Yep, yep, yep. Got all that going. Uh, oh, I don't know what I... I just, I went to move my microphone. I think I accidentally touched something. So I'm going to go... Keep, keep talking, say something. Okay, yeah, so, uh, yeah, and by the way, for those of you who are watching this, uh, if you can comment in the comments, let us know if you are able to hear me okay. You can let us know um, as well. Um, hopefully this will work out. You know, this is this is live television for you. You just don't know, you know? I mean, uh, there I, you go. Yeah, I can I, hear you now. I'm clear. All you're right. Yeah, you're back. Okay. okay. I, think I, I think I have a loose wire, but anyway, okay. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so just going back a little bit contextually, when you talk about your your depression, can you can you go back and um, and reflect on what you think may have put you in that position? Was there something going on in your life that was causing that, or or um, do you think it was more of a chemical imbalance, or can you contextualize those episodes you talked about with the depression when you were younger? Well, there was, uh, there was some really bad, uh, just, uh, uh, I, I had like, well, my, my father was a very difficult man and was an alcoholic and, uh, and right around the time I was in like seventh or eighth grade, we had, we had some issues in the home and it really caused me to spiral into depression. Okay. And then I would say that I've always kind of been a depressed person. Uh, I've suffered depression basically most of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have my good moments, but it just uh, there. There was always this melancholy that was there. Mm -hmm. I also think it's because I was in a high demand religion like evangelical Christianity, in which um, you can't be gay and a Christian. I mean, basically, I was told okay. you can't be gay and Christian. So I think there was that always that in that pressure that was always there, and it's actually that pressure that see. I felt like a lot of people felt like I was called to go into ministry, and I couldn't because I was gay in my mind. So I threw myself involved in politics. I thought I thought I perhaps could help usher in God's kingdom through political oh, reason, ways. And, and so that was kind of my, my worldview. So, but yeah, no, I think, I think the whole thing, and for me, the whole thing, what happened was I knew, so I had five, I come from a family of five brothers and sisters. So I'm number, um, I'm number three, wait, oh, number four of okay. five. Okay. okay. Yeah. And I have three older sisters and a brother, and then there's a 10 year gap. And then there's me and my younger sister. Oh. And basically I knew that once my younger sister got married, and I wasn't married yet. That they would kind of put the that that's when the ticking the, the, with the clock would start going. I said, well, why isn't he married yet? Right. Uh, so so that was right around the age of 25, is when um 24, 25, when I finally decided to come out of the closet. And what I did was um I was the city sealer for the city of Hammond, Indiana. That was the Department of Weights and Measures. Uh, it was a political appointment. And I had a falling out with one of the mayor's cronies. It was, it was, yeah, it was a corrupt, corrupt government, corrupt mm -hmm. cronies. These, these, I think one of them even ended up going to jail or was indicted. But um, I, uh, I was so burned out of politics that I said I was going to go to work at Borders in Highland, Indiana, which, by the way, this is Northwest Indiana. This is blue collar, culturally very conservative. And right. One of the only places where gay people had a safe space was at Borders in Highland, Indiana. So yeah. I, I, I mapped out, okay, how am I going to make this work. I thought I need to get a job at Borders and I need to create my own community so that so that if I do come out of closet and I lose my my fa familial and Christian community, I'll have my own community there at Borders. So that kind of gave me like a, a safety net for me. So, you know, and so that 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 was the whole thing 
with with going to work at Borders was really to create an environment so that I have a safe space as a gay man in a very culturally conservative area in a very culturally conservative religion that I was raised in. So I think I think when you say what's the root of depression, I think it's you know being a gay man in the closet is hell. Yeah. yeah. And and I think you're absolutely right when you talk about I mean I cannot imagine as a young 17, 18, 19, 20 year old um having the pressure of uh, a belief and a love so dedicated and so so um real for you authentic it's an authentic love of christ of your religion of your belief but also knowing who you were and knowing that this was not going to be accepted right and and then like and, and to, to, to i just picture this young 18 19 year old young man thinking where is a safe space for me it's not at my church it's not in my community oh i did find this little coffee shop i did find this bookstore those people will love and accept me um, I'm going to go work there and find my my crowd, my tribe. Mm -hmm. And th that is something that a, a heterosexual teenager, they might go through some kind of acceptance because all teenagers do. There's always going to be the football table in the cafeteria that you're not allowed to sit at. Um, every, you know, puberty is hell. Let's all, you know, we all know that. Um, but in your case, it has gotten so myopic and down to one little tiny sliver of a of a lane that you can walk down that nobody else has to do that and then like you say to have that fear of okay now my sister's getting married and people are going to be like hmm why is steve still at home what's going on here and and did you how did your mother deal with this because your dad and your mom had separated by that time oh no right? no they're still together no, no they never separated no yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a wonderful woman. Have they have they figured things out? As well, somebody... my dad passed away in 2020. Um, uh, he, he he suffered dementia, so it was a blessing that he passed. And so, right. so yeah, and that's actually right around the time he passed away is where the idea germinated to start Mormon book reviews. Um, so, yeah. did yeah. you feel like you were free to do that? Yeah. I think I don't think I'm in a 50 year old mobile home in Florida, and I don't think that even though I have my own little studio here, the walls are paper thin. I don't think. Um, my dad would have, we would have been able to do it, you know? Um, right. so it was just kind of, you know, fell into place in, in that way. But yeah, my dad was, it was, he could have lived a lot longer, but he actually ended up dying from an infection. Ah. And, uh, but he would have, he would have still be alive right now if that didn't infection didn't happen because we have our genes, we live very old. The Dutch in particular have, you know, high life, long lifespans. And so he would have still been alive. He would have made it into his eighties, mid to late eighties easily. So that's amazing. So you, you've gone through this journey and I know on your Mormon stories, you talked a lot about, you know, finding your group at, at borders and, and whatnot. But um, so talk about as you're starting the Mormon book review, you're getting mm -hmm. really positive vibes mm -hmm. from the evangelical audience and also from the L LDS and, and Exmo audience. Is that correct? Yeah, but but you've you mentioned that, you know, you're getting quite a following and you're getting you're you're interviewing some really remarkable people. And, you know, there's that there that there's that quote that I love that Teddy Roosevelt um, gave the man in the arena. And it says it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives val valiantly, who errs, who
who come short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause? And then it goes on and it's, it kind of goes back to the, you know, dead dogs. You know, you don't kick dead dogs. You found yourself in the arena. Yeah. And you're kind of getting some kickback. Yeah. And talk a little sure. bit about what's been happening the last couple of months and where that's put you. And, yeah. and I, the, the reason I it titled the thing Putting Christ Back in Christians is because the 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 kickback that you're getting is coming from Christians. Yes. yes. And yeah, they're, they're doing it in the name of God. The kickback yes. is in the name of God. And that's what I think is so fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, and, I, and this thing, I was once much like these men. You know, I come from a pretty conservative, orthodox, uh, uh, Calvinistic uh, background. And we, we, you know, I could be very much like they, the way they are. I was much the same way. So I have a certain degree of understanding and empathy for them. I get why they believe the way they believe. I just think that um, for me, it was just very, it's, it, it is. It, so basically a few weeks ago, I, I well, it was probably been a couple, month and a half ago or so I had posted that I'm kind of going through some trauma and there was just a series of a lot of events, both happening here at the house that were kind of causing me stressors. And then just this uh, the this wave of attacks from people. Uh, one person was just messaging me uh, just constantly on Messenger. And finally, he just says, I don't believe you're a Christian. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, well, I, and I multiple times would go to him and say, listen, I this is what I do. Literally, when somebody criticizes me on Reddit or on, on Facebook, I don't get, I don't hide behind a keyboard. I literally go and say, let me send you a Zoom link right now. Let's have a man-to-man face-to-face talk. It's usually men, of course, that always attack me. It's always men that attack me. Really? <laughs> yeah. And and you know what? They never accept the challenge. I've been I've been on this Christian uh apologist for two and a half years, offering multiple times and going through third parties. This guy criticizes me in public, but he's not, he's a coward. He's not man enough to come on and do a Zoom call. I won't give his name, not mm-hmm. yet. But it's him and his and, and, and people that are in his orbit. Another guy, he attacks me, says, I don't believe you're a Christian. So some of these Christians are going to me and saying, well, we don't think you're an evangelical. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, actually, you know, and, and I'm just sitting there like and I had this I had this freaking Presbyterian pastor in Utah say, go to me and say, Steve, do you believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God or a liar? And I'm like, do you got three hours? Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm, I don't do either or questions, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Because like, what's a prophet? What is scripture? Well, let's have this conversation, but I'm not going to do your either or black and white Manchian thinking, which is what they're infected by. Right. And that is why people like me leave Christianity and leave evangelicalism is because of such thinking, black right. and white, us versus them. It's very divisive, and we wonder why this country is in the mess that it's in, because it's people like that have taken over Christianity and have decided to be the gatekeepers of to determine who is a true evangelical or not. And I'll be honest with you, Renee. I was so ticked off at these characters a few weeks ago um, when I did that initial post that I was seriously considering chucking the term evangelical. Oh. And because I was like, do I really want to be associated with these people? Because I look at people like Randy Bell. I look at the author, I the author who wrote the book John Wayne and Jesus. Yes. Okay, yes. I, I was the first person to ask her a question at Sunstone. I said, I want to challenge you. I because she's a member of the Christian Reformed Church. She's she's uh which is the denomination that my family came out of. And she's a professor at Calvin University. 
And I said, I want to challenge you. I said, I really want you to use the term evangelical. And she said, no, I can't. And, and I, and I, cause I'm always like, we need good people to reclaim the title, the term evangelical. Right. I look at Randy Bell and like Randy Bell, you know, he attended uh, Saddleback for a while. Um, he's, he's actually friends with a lot of people at Saddleback. He likes that church that's in Southern California, but, but he concern, he, 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 he calls himself more of a, more on the progressive side, which is fine of evangelical or Christianity. I have a lot of friends that won't use evangelical. I'm like, oh, why are we ceding all this territory to these people, this intellectual dead endism that is much of the Christian apologetic community? And it's like, it's these very people. And I, this is the important thing. The beginning of my deconstruction of my faith was this book, Josh McDowell, The New Evidence that Man's the Verdict. Okay. I came across this because it was around the year 2000. And I'm like, I'm going to, I don't know much about Christian apologetics. I need to figure out. What this is all about i just assumed these were really smart people that were running circles around the seculars and the in the and all the you know the and the atheists and i pick up this book and, and I'm, I'm reading through the introduction i remember this josh mcdowell saying uh making a comment about how the bible is scientifically proven to be true i'm like really well let me check the footnote and the mm -hmm. footnote was the genesis flood that came out in the 1960s by whitcomb this is a young earth creationist book uh, document Saying that the that the, that 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 there was a literal global flood, and that scientific evidence that proves the Bible. Yeah. As soon as I read that, I was like, uh, "Houston, we got a problem." Yeah, yeah. Uh, if this is, if this is what the <laughs> yeah. best if this is the best argument, the best selling book of all time, one of the most best selling books of, in the Christian world of Christian apologetics. If this is if he's using that as a source, oh, I knew we were in big big trouble. So then I realized, oh, Christian apologetics. Is not made to bring the idea, Christian, defend Christian, Christianity in the marketplace of ideas. It's there to keep people in the church. Sound familiar? Yes, yes. That's one of the things that I have learned as an ex-Mormon. Um, that um, because it keeps get, getting people keep reflecting back on. You've got to look at the footnotes. You've got to read the footnotes, and that's something that's been awakened in me to find out and dan mcclellan's really good at that just looking at the footnotes finding the trail searching back where this came from and not just taking this verbiage as gospel truth without right. finding out what the resources are right and and that's what it boils down to so that's amazing that's a big book to just go and no <laughs> yeah exactly and see this is the thing this is the thing i one of my critics wrote this book and i'm not going to say his name but a similar thing happened to me when he sent me this book last year. Mm. Now, this is one. This is a person who attacked me for attending the Bicker Tonight baptism a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. This is the person I was in contact with, okay, in contact with on Messenger. He does not contact me in, in, to about, and so because I I went to go visit the place where he's associated with the ministries associated with to talk to his boss. The next morning, I'm greeted by an attack from him about attending this baptism. And I'm like, well, first of all, why didn't you just message me? But no, he wanted to publicly say, well, look, we're going to publicly correct Steve, which is what these guys do. And I'm like, you know, if you have ought against me as a brother, you're not supposed to do that. I'm sorry. You're supposed to come to me directly. Right. And, and all these Christian apologists, I don't see them following scripture, scriptural precedent when how they're how they deal with me. So I feel like they're modeling unchristian behavior to a largely Latter-day Saint audience and I'm like, you guys are part of a ministry and you're not even following the correct way of how you're supposed to correct the Christian brother. Right. So I get this book from him last year. And I go through it. And this was pointed out to me by a very prominent Christian scholar. 
Okay. Who's a good friend of mine. And in here, he has this thing called recommended resources. Okay. And then he says at the end of each chapter, and he has an entry-level resource, mid-level resource, and advanced resource. He puts as an advanced resource, James White, as an advanced resource to be used in, 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 uh, for, to study Mormonism and biblical Christianity, as they call it. Mm-hmm. James White, he's Dr. James White, gets his, his, his uh, doctorate from a diploma mill. Um. He's not a legitimate doctor. No, no scholar that I engage with takes James White seriously. Uh, and this guy's going to a layperson audience and saying, this is an advanced, it's like, I'm like, to me, that was my Genesis flutter yeah, moment for that book was like, if that's the, if you're using James White and he uses James White as a resource throughout the book, who is not, a, 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 he's, he's a virulent anti-Mormon scholar, first of all. And he is not, he's not, his doctorate is, claims from a diploma mill. It was Christian, Christian apologists, Christian scholars have brought this to my attention. Even Mormon scholars brought this up. So when he's using that as a resource, I'm like, what kind of materials apologists are you using for your audience? Right. You can do better than that. I'm actually going to Christian apologists. I'm not saying not to do apologists. I'm just saying, just do better scholarship. Right. You know, right. You know, yeah. to, to, to defend Josh McDowell, I will say there was a gentleman who three years ago gave a presentation at Sunstone talking about how the apologetic history of Josh McDowell, how he has gotten a little bit better since the 70s because his son, Sean McDowell, is actually has a little bit more, has some, he's, has some decent credentials. So he's been helping his dad with the evidence that uh, demands a verdict series. And they have they have improved things from, according to this gentleman, who's an atheist, by the way, because I ever went to him and said, well, if they're doing better apologetics, are, do you believe now? He said, no, I'm still, I'm still an atheist. I'm just saying that they're doing it a little better than what Josh was doing in the 70s. So we can see that it's possible that you can actually improve your scholarship. Like apparently Josh McDowell and the, they have done better. They've made improvements in how they do it. I want to go to other Christian apologists in particular who are engaging Mormonism. You guys got to do a better job with your scholarship. I actually... Mm-hmm this one Christian ministry and they, and they have, they, they claim to be researchers. And I, but yet I don't see them at Mormon history association. I don't see them at the John Whitmer historical association. I gave a presentation last month or two months ago at the John Whitmer historical association. If, if, if Mormon, if Christians apologists who are, who are claiming to do scholarship want to be taken seriously, they need to be present at these conferences. They need to be presenting papers and, 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 and then it will actually help them improve their work. And therefore they can do, I think better scholarship equals better apologetics. So that's my, that's my challenge to them. I'm not, I even told them, I said, I don't hate, I'm not hating on you. I think some of the work you do is fantastic, but I also look at a lot of the stuff they do is not being, is not taken seriously by any, any academics. And I feel like if it's not being taken serious, seriously by academics, then you're doing your lay person audience a disservice by disseminating, disseminating to them bad information. Yeah. And I think what's so hard is that there is a, there's a lot out there now because of the political situation that our country is in. And it was ironic because I was actually watching, I'm trying to watch more BBC to try to get a better outlook. Uh, yeah. Maybe what does the world think we're doing right now? Mm-hmm. I, I, I try to watch that. So I was watching and they were talking about the Christian nationalism movement that's going mm-hmm. on right now. And of course they always have to bring up the January 6th um, insurrection. But, you know, they had a lot of evangelical people on talking about, as you mentioned before, the black and white mentality. It's like Democrats are Satan's. They're they're demons. They have been taken over by Satan. And it is our job as evangelical Christians to destroy these demons. 
And in and these are all people that are amening and Jesus told us to do this and this is what we're supposed to do. And I'm thinking, I don't remember hearing that in the New Testament. I don't remember, you know, and then they'll say, and I heard you on another podcast and this particular gentleman talks about the teddy bear Jesus, that everybody wants the teddy bear Jesus. And I'm like, so in the alternative to the teddy bear Jesus is the turning the tables, Jesus, the anger. And you think that was, that's the, that's the Jesus that we want. And do you even understand the story behind that parable that's told? And, you know, and so there's that kind of back and forth, black and white type thing. And it's amazing. I actually, you know, was listening to another podcast and they were referencing, and this was probably, you'll have to tell me because I'm sure it isn't, but in my eyes, um, he brought up immediately John DeLynn's family. And he said, hey, John DeLynn just posted a picture of his kids. Uh, one of his kids got married and he posted this family picture. And I'm just here to say that I'm really worried about John DeLynn's family and, and um, what John DeLynn is doing to destroy uh, his family. And he said, but, you know, coming from it, from a, from, uh, you know, in a belief in Jesus, I'm just trying to warn him about what's going to happen because, you know, look what he's doing to this family. And I, I was, I was, it took my breath away. It took my breath away that on this podcast, he would show this picture, completely target this one man, attack his family, and then say, I'm only doing this in the name of Jesus. It was absolutely breathtaking for me. I was like, oh my gosh, that's the most hateful thing I think I've ever seen. Obviously it's not. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. But the fact that he would use Jesus to, to say that what I'm going to say to you now has been authorized and is in love. I'm doing this in love. And what was so ironic, Stephen, was his biggest thing was, look at these kids. Are they going to get married? Are they going to have grandkids? Is John DeLynn going to have grandkids? How can they ever find happiness if they don't have large families? They're never going to find happiness. And I thought, where do you live? I live in a retirement community. Most of the people in this community are 55 and above. It's not an official retirement community, but there's a lot of golf going on. So um, there's still people that are working and things, but most of the people are 55 and above. Many of these people had two children. They are in their late 60s. They still do not have a grandchild. They are true, biblically loving, Bible study, going to church people who love God. But somehow this man associated success and the love of Jesus with the LDS concept of having large families and traditional roles that have been given to you. And that's the only way, that's the only thing that there is. Blew my mind, blew my mind. And so when I saw your Facebook posts and you talked about the trauma that you were going through, the joy, you had so much joy in your heart when you were talking about the baptism that you just went to. You were so happy. And then to be attacked so violently, like you said, you actually, it was rather traumatic. So talk a little bit more about that because it didn't actually happen one-on-one -on -one in Utah, right? It was when you got home and then it was online. It was actually that morning of the baptism is when I first got that. Now you have to, I want to separate two incidents. I did have the promise thing that the, like a few weeks before that I was able to process that trauma and I was able to get healed from it. And so basically what happened was Friday morning at 5 a.m. I wake up and I can't get back to sleep and I realized Oh, I'm processing trauma. So then it was 9 a.m. that morning. I posted, hey, I'm going through a tough time, guys. And by the way, I want to say my phone just exploded. I heard oh. from people throughout the world 
Oh. Uh, people are calling me, Radio Free Mormons call me. You doing okay, bud? You know, yeah. and all these people, I just knew that I had this community of friends that was there, which was so awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 that that encouraged me. And then it was funny because I I kind of was processing. I go on a on a TV show or a, a Facebook show uh, in St. Petersburg, downtown St. Petersburg, and I, I do two tape two episodes there. And then I go to this church on Sunday morning um, called The Harvest in Sarasota, Florida, which is part of the new evangelical movement. And I actually mm. was, it was very fortuitous. They had they flew in a podcaster from New Jersey who just started around around the time I started my my channel. He started the channel called The New Evangelicals. And it's kind of trying to reclaim evangelicalism from this the politis, the weaponizing of Jesus is what is what's happened and the weaponization of Christianity. And the thing is, is that basically the evangelicals uh, make approximately a quarter to a third of the population in this country have Mm -hmm. taken over one of the most powerful political parties in the world. Mm -hmm. And we are very powerful and very influential in this country. There's no question about it. But Mm -hmm. we have, I feel, and I was talking to the more, I had lunch with the Mormon missionaries today. And by the way, folks, it's Christmas time. And if you have Mormon missionaries around, make sure you feed them, take care of our Mormon missionaries. And uh, I had a conversation with him. I was explaining to him how much of a mess evangelicalism is. And I said, I said, it's almost like we, we, we sold out, like Esau sold out his birthright. Um, mm. We sold out our prophetic birthright as a prophetic people for political power. Mm. And so I feel that's the, that's the direction evangelicalism has gone. Now, I was involved in politics, and I was very much involved in getting evangelicals involved in the Republican Party. So I was there from the very beginning. Um, you know, I engaged, I mean, just so you know, engagements with people, uh, by bet dad was on Pat Robert, one of Pat Robertson's TV shows in Virginia beach, Virginia, I had interactions with Ralph Reed. So I was kind of, we were kind of involved in starting up the Christian right as a young person. Uh, but I, I tell people it was 20 years ago, I left the evangelical village. And then when I came back just that, not that long ago, the village was on fire. Yeah. And then I realized, oh, these people need Jesus. Mm. More than anybody, the evangelicals could use Jesus, an authentic relationship with him. Because unfortunately, it's almost like Christians, the Christianity that's American Christianity in particular is is basically just, it's about who you vote for now. Right. And it's like, no, it's not, it has nothing to do with that. And it's about accumulating power and wealth and prestige. It's about, you know, this prosperity gospel. It's about all these things that, you know, people talk about how wealthy the, the Mormon church is, and it is. But I imagine if you took the combined assets of all the mega churches and all the Christian ministries, it's probably dwarfs the Mormon church if you combine them all together. So we've accumulated great power, great wealth, and we've sold out our prophetic calling as a people. Right. I love that comparison, that selling your birthright, because you're right. It's it's like there's this new... Um, like I said, with the Christian nationalism and the the misinformation that's out there about founding fathers, and this was you know based in a Christian nation, founding fathers wanted it to be a Christian nation. And again, going back to your read your footnotes, go back and read the history. This is all dogma that's been fed to you. You need to find out more about the true stories of our founding fathers and what their goal really was, which was freedom of religion. Freedom of religion does not mean, you know, they they misinterpret the, the pilgrims landing in this country seeking religious freedom. They misunderstand 14, you know, 92 or 1416 or whatever the date was. They're confusing that with 1776. And they don't understand that, you know, the pilgrims arrived in this on this land hoping to do their religion, not Christian freedom, not religious freedom their religious 
freedom. And the founding fathers, some of them were deists, some of them were Christian believers, some of them, you know, had completely other beliefs. That was not what this nation was based on. It was based on religious freedom for all. And so this whole idea that our founding fathers set this whole country up to be Christian and Christian only is it's it's again, now we're talking about an elitism. Now we're talking about an other. You're another. And if you're not one of us, then you're an outsider. Therefore, I don't have to love you. I don't have to treat you kindly um, because you're an other. And that's where we're headed right now. And it's really scary. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's so funny because David Barton um, is somebody who is affiliated yeah. with a lot of this as well. And I personally gave President Bush a copy of one of David Barton's books. <laughs> so that's how bought in I was into that narrative as well yeah. growing up. And so I, I get it. I get where they're coming. I get why they're saying what they say. But just look, you know, deconstructing my faith, deconstructing my scriptures, ultimately deconstructing God, going through the whole deconstruction process, really, I had to reteach myself how to think about things. Right. I had to rewire my brain to think differently. And I really feel like it's almost like this is a gift where I'm able now, as somebody who kind of has been able to uh, uh, kind of de-doctrinate de or my indoctrination, if you will, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, been I've been able to now re-enter the evangelical sphere as somebody who's like, well, actually, you know, I can push back on some of this stuff. And I think that's the important thing that that's, that's, that is what, a, now I'm not claiming to be a prophet, but I do think that what prophets are, are people who stand up against the dominant narrative right. and, and yell stop. Yeah. And just say, listen, do we really want to go this direction? And I think if any if any group in America needs a prophetic intervention, if you will, mm -hmm. of saying, where in the hell are you guys going? This is a mess. And you're part of the reason why this country is in the mess that it's in. And, mm -hmm. and again, because look, and there are secular progressives that are just as fundamentalist as Christians are. So it's a, it's a two edged thing here, folks. Trust me, this ain't I'm not going after one side. I do feel that there's a lot of toxicity on the left, too, that I find bothersome. And then, and then I tell people, I said, listen, I said, when, when I first started this channel, God placed me in the placed me on one side of the street holding the sign. And then across the street, there was other people holding their sign. And God went to me and said, listen, those people on the other side of the street with their signs that disagree with your signs. Just remember that they are fellow image bearers, yeah. fellow image bearers. And so that's how I look at individuals as being created in the image of God, fellow image bearers. And just because you have different political opinions than I do, I'm not going to demonize you. Right. And that's I just I just think it's ridiculous what we're doing. We've, we've traded our birthright as a people for sheer political power. And many of these people, they they fall right in line with it. And I don't I'm like, listen. Why in the world are we attacking other religions and other faiths when ours is a mess? Right, right. And that that's the thing. And that's the, that's the thing that I, that, as you mentioned, very often. Now, you were not LDS. You, were, you have never been a Mormon. And yet right. your faith crisis led you into atheis, atheism yes. because mm -hmm. of the black and white thinking and the idea that, well, hmm, let me think about this, because if that isn't right, then maybe this story is also not right. And so there is a journey that many ex-Mormons go on where they, they are also led into atheism because you start, you know, I, I know I, I went right from, well, if the, if the Mormon history is propaganda and has been whitewashed and we've been fed a, a lot of untruths, where all else are there untruths? And so I started exactly the horsemen that you mentioned, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hutchins and Sam Harris and Bart Ehrman. 
And I learned so much. It was exhilarating to begin to learn some other truths. And there's there's certain times when I've listened to Steve or Sam Harris and said, that makes a lot of sense. And then there's other times when I've listened to him and said, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't like I don't like what you're saying. And I feel so good at being able to do that. I can listen to, you know, like I, I the other day I I put on uh, TikTok. I love Jane Christie. Have you had Jane Christie on your show? Mm-mm. She's such a kick. She's so smart. And her and Sarah, I love it's it's Sarah in Scotland. You know, you and I are from the Midwest in the Midwest. So it's Sarah. Yeah. Oh, right. right. Are you yeah. talking the one from Scott and 21st Century Saints? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I've been on their program. Yes, you have. That's right. That's yeah. right. So she, he's uh, so she's working with Sarah and they've just developed such a beautiful program in the United Kingdom to stop to start having more background checks and and things like that for people that are working with children, things that they don't they, they can't even do in the United States. That's what's so sad is that the simple things that's taken them a year to achieve what they've done nationwide that we cannot do in this country because of all of the pushback that you get about background checks and things like that. But anyway, she was talking about, um, for, for those of you listeners that aren't LDS, we have a uh, 12 apostles and then we have a first presidency, which makes 15. They call it the quorum of the 15. One of the apostles just died. So they have to bring in another apostle. So they have the 12 and, um, which I love. I heard the other day, they said, why did uh, Jesus have 12 apostles? It's because, well, it's all related to the 12 tribes. There's always a symbolism associated mm-hmm. with these numbers, you know, right. the seven, this and 40 days of this yep. and three days of this. There's always a, a parable that goes along with this, but people that are literalists will look at that and go 40 days. Wow. That's a long time to not eat or drink anything. You're like, okay, this is all symbolism. Okay. We need to go back to symbolism. But anyway, so that's why there were 12 apostles because of the 12 tribes and whatnot. So one of them died. So they had to bring in a new, so they've just put in a new apostle and he happens to be this wonderful young man from England. And so again, the beauty of the English accent is I swear you could read the phone book and people would be like, Oh, that was so profound. You know? yes, yes. So, so he's got this beautiful accent and he was talking about uh, abuse and he was, he was saying very simple things like it's never the abuser's fault. Uh, you should never think that any of this abuse was caused by you and things like that. And and so and most of the LDS community were like, that was amazing. That was the we needed to. He was inspired, you know, and Jane and Sarah were like, no kidding. Really go ask anybody on the bus. They're going to tell you the exact same thing. This wasn't that profound, but because it came from this source, it was taken as like, Wow, you know, so it just goes back to this whole indoctrination of who has authority and where did this come from and and why should we accept that and and does that take precedence over what someone said last year and and where's the schizophrenia coming from because last year you said this and now you're saying this and I don't know what to believe anymore. And so it's just if you are a critical thinker at all and you start doing your research and like you mentioned start reading the footnotes you're going to start having a little bit of dissonance in your life. Mm -hmm. And it's going to lead you to where you're at right now. Right. Right. And that's the thing. Like for me, I've already, I know what it's like to lose one's faith. Yeah. Because I've already lost my faith in God. And I know a lot of people are afraid to investigate because they're afraid they're going to lose their faith. Right. And I understand that. But I also say that, you know, I've been able to return back into faith 
It's much more nuanced. It's much more different. But, you know, this is the thing. And I'm going to push back now a little bit on ex-Mormon atheists, if you don't mind. Yeah. Can I push back on them a little bit? Please. And I, and I do this out of love, by the way. Yeah. I feel like so many ex-Mormons go straight to atheism, one, because they're encountering a lot of these Christian apologists who are who are encouraging people. Many of them are standing outside of the temples and they're doing mm. their, their signs and they're yelling. And people who go to a general conference, they say, well, if I'm ever going to leave this church, I ain't going to theirs. Mm. And so they go straight to atheism. OK, uh, they don't know. Where, they don't know where else to go. They don't know where else to go, which because mm. like, like, do I really want to become that person holding the sign? Yeah. You know, mocking, mocking Mormons. Right. They don't want to do that. Right. So. I wanted to say, though, that one of the things I want to be kind of critical of is that a lot of the people who are heroes to um, to ex-Mormon atheists are believers. So people don't realize this. I had lunch with Maxine Hanks when I was out in Utah last time I was there. Oh. And we had a wonderful three hour conversation along with my friend Casey Kern. And she told me, she says, Steve, do you realize that virtually I think five, I think she said five of the six, September 6th all had angelic visitations after they were excommunicated? No. Yeah. And then, and, and then these are heroes to the ex-Mormon atheists. Well, do you disregard their angel stories? Yeah. Like you disregard Moroni? Right. Like, right. And then I always tell me, D. Michael Quinn is considered to be like a folk hero in the ex-Mormon community. This yeah. man died on his deathbed, had a stronger testimony of the Book of Mormon than B.H. Roberts did. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is, is that there are people who have been critical of the church. There have been people who have been excommunicated by the church who are respected in the ex-atheist community, ex-Mormon community, 90% are, are, are atheists, but yet they're still believers. Yeah. So I think that that's something just to grapple with. You know, like right. why is it that these people like it would still be believers after all that they've been through and would have spiritual experiences? And so to me, that tells me that there's more to this than just the materialistic world. Right. It's easy to say, screw it. I don't have anything to do with it. I've been burned. I don't want to go anywhere else. Yeah. I'm not believing anymore. I'm right. saying is that the reason why there have been, there are nine other species of that we were related to, but only Homo sapiens made it. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason I think we made it is because we, um, if anything, we, 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 we can, the, the spark of the divine happened with us. And like many people say, you can tell when the divine spark happened with humanity is the first time we start seeing bodies that were buried or that we see uh, things buried with them that maybe would help them in the afterlife or that it was important to them. Or like Margaret Mead said, we became human when we, start, when we started finding remains of, of remains of humans with healed hip bones. In other words, they were picked up and they were carried. Okay, wow, so, right. so this is the humanity. This is the divine spark. Believe right. that we were more than just animals, that we were more than just meat, that we were, were, that we were to bury people, that we were to help people. That, okay, this is the divine spark. Because we recognize there is something bigger than ourselves. Right. And by believing in something bigger than ourselves, it's what gave us an evolutionary advantage over the rest of our cousins that didn't make it. Right. So I tell people, I said, you don't turn your back on your spirituality because that is part of who we are as a species. And so by cutting yourself off from that, you're cutting yourself off from a real important part of an aspect of our humanity. That's why. When I go, go to people, I say, look, I understand. I wasn't, I was a materialistic atheist for a long time. I get, I not even understand why you need even be in that place. I even tell Aaron Ra, one of the biggest atheists on YouTube. I said, Aaron, I'm a pro atheist evangelical. And he looks at me and he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, said, I said, I understand why when people have been hurt. And again, I'm not talking about any particular church or religion. I'm talking about people who have been victimized spiritually and 
uh, suffered from PTSD, from spiritual and religious abuse of all kinds. Okay. Right. For many of them, they've been hurt so bad that even the concept of God triggers them. They almost have to become atheists in order for them to mentally heal. Yeah. Okay? So I do look at atheism as there's therapeutic value to atheism. So I don't hate on atheists. Right. But I also tell people said, you know, don't, don't just continue to progress, continue to learn. If atheism is a, a place you need to be in, fine. But don't completely shut the door to the supernatural, to there being something bigger than ourselves, to being able to tap into some kind of spirit, into spirituality. And, and, and I really feel like that's important not to lose the, the, not to lose touch with that part of that part of your humanity because yeah, that, that, you're an incomplete person if you're not doing it. I'm not bashing you. I'm just saying that there's an incompleteness that happens if you're not spiritually attuned to things as well. Right. And I, I love that. I love, I love that because it, you know, people cannot discount the experiences that they've had. People will say uh, it was very hard for me to leave the church because of the spiritual experiences I had. And it's like, well, um, I've had some amazing spiritual experiences since I resigned my membership from the church because I haven't resigned my life. I'm still a living creature. I'm still, I still have children. I still have a spouse. I still have grandchildren that I'm concerned about, that I think about, that I meditate over, that I try to learn, you know, continual learning should make you happy. It should bring joy to your life. The wonder, the why, asking why these things happen and then searching for an answer for that why should bring you joy. And if, if that brings you to some kind of a burning in your bosom, as we talked about when we first started the show, then you don't need to discount that with anything. It doesn't have to be taken down into some kind of just an emotional react chemical reaction. It doesn't have to be made into a freaking revelation. It can just be appreciated for what it is. You can be grateful for what it was, and then you can go on loving and learning and I think that's the experience that I'm at right now is I am because I have left this fundamental religion that I feel was very restrictive to, as to where what I was able to learn. Like I, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I couldn't I could tell you the the biblical stories that come from the children's book if you go to a Christian bookstore. So you've got the story of, you know, of Job and and all of the stories that we've all been taught as children. Those were my that was my biblical learning. So mm -hmm. leaving this fundamental religion that told me not to look into the Bible, there's really no sense in even looking at the Bible because we don't really believe it's been translated correctly. And the really the good thing for you to do is just to read the Book of Mormon. So I read the Book of Mormon. And so when I now that I've been given permission to advance my learning into other areas, I'm, I'm, I love listening to, like you say, the four horsemen and these wonderful learned men that have such a, a and I think, you know what, a lot of that makes a lot of sense. And, but then I think, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? And I love asking why, yeah. just yeah. ask why, but if you can turn that, that love for learning into, I don't care. I don't care if you're Jewish. I don't care if you're Muslim. Muslim. I don't care if whatever, you know, if you're Lutheran or Protestant or Methodist or whatever. I love what you're doing. Tell me what you've done to serve your community. Tell me what your love for Jesus has done to your family or how you've taken that love and turned it into some kind of action. Then I want to celebrate that action that's been taken by that love and not criticized or, you know, it, when... I am a I am a have a really big thing with the abortion. Uh, a lot of the things that I was listening to when I was kind of 
doing a little bit of research for this show, and and they were talking about the Christian nationalism and the way they described the abortion and cutting up babies, and they just turned it into just this base, you know, murderous, horrendous activity. And I'm like, there's 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 a bigger picture to this, and there has to be more. To, you've got to look at a bigger picture than just you're killing babies. You know, you've got to look at the woman. You've got to look at the context. You've got to look at the situation. There's so many things you have to look at. You can't just take a stand and say, this is my stand. No matter what, this is my stand. And that's where I feel like a lot of the evangelicals, it doesn't matter. This is my stand. I'm right. You're wrong. If you don't believe the way I believe in God, then you don't believe in God. Therefore, you are Satan incarnate, you know. And um, so that's the sad part. And I've, I, I see the goodness that you do with your show, the, the broad uh, thought process of the people that you have on your show. And then for me to see you being traumatized and, and hurt by people that call themselves, you know, followers of Jesus and God was just like, when is this going to change? When are we going to make this? Yeah. Well, you know, the thing, Renee, is, you know, actually, I didn't finish the story. I just remembered. So I had woke up in that weekend and I'm going through the trauma. Well, what happens is on Friday, on Monday, I spend two hours with Kara on her program, Atheist Kara wearing a Jesus shirt. Because <laughs> that's what I do. And then I go and tape an interview with Rebecca Biblioteca. Uh-huh. with this guy named Alan about saving the Provo temple from destruction. And we need to yeah. do a petition drive. Now you have to understand earlier in that day, my mom was like, Steve, we were having a situation and I was going to yell and scream at some people the next day. Let's just put it that way. I was full of anger. And my mom went to me and she said, Steve, I don't think you should be here tomorrow. Aww. So I taped this interview and it has not unrelated to everything else I'm doing. But I taped the interview and I walk out of my studio and I go to my mom. I said, mom, I'm going to be okay tomorrow. I'm healed. I realized that just the very act of doing my show is my therapy. Oh, that's so true. And I was healed from the trauma, just like yeah. that. It just just a cut about, about 72 hours or so of trauma and it disappeared. Now you understand like my depression, anxiety, <coughs> and stress was it has melted away to almost nothing to compare to what well, it was just a few years ago. So I know I'm going through this healing process. And this channel is about this healing process. Is literally it's it's about me being able to um, be able to reach out to people and, and see, this is the thing to me, being a gay man is a gift because it enabled me to be able to, to see the other because I was the other while I was in, in, in this in group at the same time. And I recognize how sensitive I am and empathetic I am to people who are mistreated, who are marginalized, who are, whose voices aren't heard. That's why I love to take, but I like to take somebody like Matthew Gill, a prophet of about 20 people in England who have translated his own scriptures. And I give him three episodes on my program. And he's forever grateful that I gave him that opportunity. Nobody else would have ever heard of him if I didn't do that. Because I like all different voices. That's why I always say all the voices of the restoration will be heard in Mormon book reviews. Because I want I want to hear all the different voices. I want to hear the feminist voice. I want to hear the LGBTQ voice. I want to hear the progressive voice. I want to hear the conservative voice. I want to hear all the different voices. And I get attacked for you shouldn't platform this person. You shouldn't do this. And I'm like, listen, you're missing the whole point. 
I'm here. I, I want everybody to come on. Now, I will not have malevolent people come on my program. Right. I'm not going to give a, a platform to a guy who's going to be some cult leader that's going to, you know, you know, that's not happening. OK, and there are plenty of people like that that, that are immediately disqualified themselves as being guests on my program. Yeah. But I do feel that there are good, decent people from all different camps that we need to be able to then say, OK, I'm going to have this conservative person on here who's going to make some of you progressives feel uncomfortable, but I want to humanize them. Or I'm going to bring on this transgender individual who's a progressive in the community of Christ, probably the, uh, Evan Charlie, who is polyamorous. He wants his polyamorous relationships. She, excuse me, wants their polyamorous relationships to be recognized by the community of Christ. And so he's like the far left of the community of Christ. Well, guess what? Evan, you come on my show and you tell your story and you make, you make, you make people in power feel uncomfortable. And that's what I try to do. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's what I want to do. And also this is the thing I want to learn more and this is the thing what i love about richard bushman he's a man in his 90s and he yeah. still has an imagination he still wants to learn right and see this is the thing like a lot of these people that are critical of me whether they're uh, lds apologists or they're christian apologists they're they don't have the intellectual curiosity that richard bushman has that i love yeah and this is a man who who taps into the same stuff that i tap into and he's still learning. He loves talking with me. He lo he asks me quite. He peppers me with questions all the time. Wants my opinion on stuff. He just is in, in, really in, enthralled by the work that I'm doing and loves it. And I just want to let you know, Renee, that I'm going. I'm planning on having Richard and Claudia Bushman to come back on my program to kind of be able to both talk about their legacies. And of course, I'm sure Claudia is probably one of your heroes. Oh, she and is a kick in the pants. She is so yeah. funny. We and, went and saw her when they were introducing their book with Peggy Fletcher stack and the Salt Lake Tribune Mormon land. And we sat and watched their fireside and she is so funny because she's just a positive, um, you know, she's just a, a mover and a shaker. And like you said, she's in her nineties, I think she might yeah. be in her, you know, and she's just so happy and so positive and talking about the things that she's going to do. And I just had an idea the other day. I think I might start doing that. And I thought, I, I hope there are more people in their 90s that sit around and go, you know what? I think I'm going to go do that instead of, well, I'm too old. I'm too old to make a difference in this world, you know? And, and another great woman that we have to talk about uh, is Sandra Tanner. Now, I'm yeah. almost done with the book. I read most of the book on the plane on my last trip. And Sandra comes, people are Sandra Tanner comes to every single one of my meetups when I ever have one. In, 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 in. She's 83 years old and she still has her fastball. She's still oh. sharp as a tack. She and is. She's an amazing woman. Honestly, Gerald and Sandra Tanner are are heroes to me. Yeah. Because I, I really feel like I tap more into the spirit of Gerald Tanner than most Christians. A lot of Christians are trying to be the next Gerald and Sandra Tanner. Yeah. But they don't, they don't understand the Tanners. And now, look, Sandra doesn't probably agree with everything I do or say. And that's fine. Right. right. But, but these critics, they want to be, they, they emulate, they're trying to emulate Gerald and Sandra Tanner. And I always tell them that there's a, there's a section here in the book. I, I actually should look it up, but I, I pretty much know it verbatim. So Gerald Tanner, they 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 finally left the Restoration and decided to join just a conventional Protestant church in Salt Lake City. Now, they're still kids. They're still in their early 20s. And Gerald Tanner goes to the pastor and says to him, says, listen, said, I'm, 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 I'm interested in being a member of this church. But let me tell you, if you say one cross word about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from the pulpit, I'm going to stand up and walk out of here. That's what Gerald Tanner says. Yeah. yeah. So these same evangelical critics who go after me. Yeah. Like, do you realize what Gerald Tanner was doing? 
He was yeah. friends with Ogden Kraut and Ann Wilde, the two most prominent polygamists in, in the state of Utah. They were friends. Gerald and Sandra Tanner were friends with them. They yeah. were friends with a lot of the scholars in Mormonism. They weren't out there with blowhorns no. going after people. All they did, all I tell people is all the Tanners did was publish the gospel topics essays 50 years before the church did. That's yeah. all they did. And, and, and the, the greatest thing is I've got the big red book. And if you have not lived long enough to understand what mimeographing and yeah. how they put those, how they put that literature together and the hours that they had to spend, you know, duplicating these pages and setting these pages up, we're just a few steps above the printing press here. I yeah. mean, what they were doing in the sixties and the seventies and, and, you know, she just, she just got vulnerable for a little bit. I heard her on a podcast and, you know, her memory and her wit is just so sharp. And so she she remembers these dates and times and facts and things like that. And it's so beautiful. But just for a brief moment, she talked a little bit about her kids and what her kids were going through because of the persecution that they were getting as a family. And that you don't hear her talk about that very much, mm -hmm. but it just made me she was quietly, quietly doing. And, and I love how she talks about. You know, when um, Mark Hoffman came into her store and she's like, oh, yeah, this is great. You know, and Joe was like, Sandra, this is fake. This is all fake. And she's like, no, no, he told me this is. And I love how she admits that. And she talks about how vulnerable she was and but what they did together right. and how she stood by him and helped him out and 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 stood by her kids and. She really is. She is such a hero for me. I just absolutely love her. And I, the first Sunstone that I went to, I went up and I sat next to her and I said, you know, we're the only gray haired people around here. So we got to stick together. So it's like, <laughs> you know, she's just absolutely wonderful. So, well, Stephen, I'm so glad to hear that you were able to find peace in the backlash that you got. And, yeah. and, and I love that you are getting the support that you deserve for sure for what you're you're bringing it's 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 unique and i think it's beautiful again you're asking why you're letting people tell their stories you're not criticizing them but you do push back and um and i love that because you do it in a, a very kind and thoughtful way it's a way where you go oh no that's a good point you know mm -hmm. and that's what pushback is supposed to do yep and uh so anyway thank no, you so thank much. you well renee so i just I, I just want to tell you, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me tonight. Well, it's my pleasure. And and uh, it was I'm so thankful for Rebecca to give me an opportunity to meet you in person and, and and to have, you know, just to sit down and have a meal with you and get to know you personally. And and I can't invite you to Arizona because you live in a beautiful place as well. So <laughs> so it's, you know, a lot of the other people are like, get out of that snow and come to Arizona. But you're like, eh, we don't have snow either. So we're good. That's right. you know? That's right. yep. Yep. So anyway, well, you have a Merry Christmas and thank you for all of your knowledge and your love and what you're doing for to make this world a better place to live in and bringing the Christ back in Christian. That's the best part. That's the key thing. It's about just trying to emulate the savior and, and just realize that this is it's not a black and white world we live in. There's a lot of gray. And we need to be able to put ourselves in places that make us feel uncomfortable if we truly want to grow as, as a species and, and as a people. If you want to flourish in life, you don't want to just stay with your in-group. You need to reach out and talk to people who are different from, than you. And yeah, when, yeah. You that, when you do that, it's going to change the way you, you perceive things. And it's going to make you a whole person as opposed to a uh, just, just another 
person who's taking one side, uh, holding their signs on one side of the street, yelling at the people with the signs that say the opposite thing. But we, we got it. We got to yeah. just get away from that goofiness. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. You go and finish your Friday evening. I will not disrupt it any longer and have a great weekend. <laughs> God bless. All right. Bye-bye. Oh my gosh. Was he not the best guest to have on a couple days before Christmas? He is the most loving and kind person that I think I've ever met. And um, you've got to watch his show, Mormon Book Reviews, and um, just watch his show with an open mind. And that's the that's the thing that I'm stressing on. Um, if you want to become um, more visible, as my the name of my show is She Became Visible, you have to understand who you are and why you are who you are and what your beliefs really are. And in order to do that, you have to start asking, why do I think that way? Where did I learn that? Who told me that? Should I look into this? You've got to start opening up your eyes to some more critical thinking. And even in places where it might be a little uncomfortable, where you think, you know, like we got on a few, you know, questionable topics tonight, but you might want to say, let me see if I can do some more research and, and, uh, Find out some more information. One of the things I respect a lot about um, Bill Real is that he's actually said, you know, I um, I'm starting to do some double thinking and maybe some rethinking on the um, the um, uh, 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 what can I think of it the um, clergy privilege with abuse cases. And he's doing some research. He's looking into some data. He's he's maybe thinking maybe I should think differently about. Uh, having the opportunity to do a clergy repentance process and should there be mandatory abuse? I don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to do some research. And that's what I like. And when we when we talk about that scary thing called abortion, I want to refer you to a book called Ejaculate Responsibly by Gab Gabrielle Blair. And she is a mother of six. She is an active LDS woman but she has some wonderful things in there about male reproduction and female reproduction and the responsibility for pregnancies and how this whole thing works. So it's just one of those things where don't, you cannot come to a black and white conclusion until you've done enough asking why. And I believe that's what Steve does on his show. He invites people to come on his show so he can say, why do you think that? And why should I think that? And and where did you get that idea? And thank you for sharing that idea with us today. So I hope you've learned something today. Have a Merry Christmas. I hope you all enjoy this holiday. Make it the best it can be for you. You don't have to be surrounded by family and friends. If you can find some peace just within yourself, make this holiday the best. I think Hallmark has caused more stress and, and fear and anger in people's lives just because they've set up a scenario that is not true for everyone and it doesn't have to be true for everyone. So hope you, hopefully you'll find some joy this, this Christmas season and we will see you in the new year. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me today on She Became Visible. Join me each week as my guests and I explore the path of womanhood and tell all our stories. We'll talk about finding the courage to be ourselves and motivate each other to be everything that we're capable of and meant to be, no matter what happens around us. Please like, share, and subscribe.